As the Bible tells us, uh, to, to, to faithfully preach the word of God, to preach Jesus. And so we hold that very highly. And so we're going to do that this morning. Um, also want to let you know, uh, for those guests here this morning, those who are uh, visiting with us today, I want to let you know there is a guest card there at the back of the pew in front of you. Um, I would love for you to, to, to fill this out if you get a chance. Um, and uh, let us know just a little bit about you. Simply what we want to do with this is just tell you thank you for, for joining us today and to see if there's anything uh, we can do to, uh, to help you or to minister to you and uh, just reach back out to you um, uh, in the next week or so. And so we'd love for you to fill this out. Uh, usually at the end of the service, we do a time of communion on Easter uh, Sunday. We, we do not because of Holy Week. We celebrate Monday, Thursday, and we remember that night, the Lord's Supper uh, in homes and our life groups. And so uh, we, we're not doing that today. And so, you, so I know members, this is a note for you. Uh, we have plates up here, plates in the back as well. And, and you can, members, give that way today. So I just wanted to kind of give that little word out today that you can do that. And then also, guests, uh, you can drop those in the plates as well. They're up here in the back as we uh, depart this morning. And so enough of that uh, to why we're here. Look at John 11. Um, you, you heard in the video, and you might be saying, really, Pastor, on Easter Sunday, you had to stand in the cemetery for us? Uh, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Um, but but, but I, I, I love what we find in this text this morning, a, a very profound truth, a, a very profound statement in verse 25, I want to show you, in verse 26, where, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And he says here, he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. That's pretty profound. And he says, do you believe this? This is Jesus speaking. Jesus, eight times in the gospel of John, will make I am statements. He will say, I am the light of the world. He will say, I am the vine. He, he will say, I am the door or the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. And here uh, he will say, I am the resurrection and the life. He will say, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. He will say in John 8, before Abraham was, I am. And, and Jesus was making these statements to reveal who he was, that he is God. That he is the self-existing, eternal God. And today, Jesus wants to know you. He wants you to know him as that. That he is the I am. And specifically today, he is the resurrection and he is the life. And so on this Easter morning, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection? Do you believe that he is the life? These are loving words because they meet our greatest need. They give us that which is infinitely and eternally all satisfying. And so this morning, I want to show you how much Jesus loves you, how much he loves me, and how it impacts our life and ultimately our eternity. Now, to do that, what I want to do is I want to look at this statement, but I also want to look at what comes before it and what comes after it. 
Uh, it, it's, a, it's a miracle. In fact, it's Jesus' seventh miracle specifically that John mentions here in his gospel uh, to reveal that Jesus is who he says he is, that he, yes, is God. And so look at it with me, if you would. Look at John 11. Look at verse 1. Go back some verses there to the beginning of this section. Matt read these for you, and I, and I want to look at them again. Listen to what he says. He says, now a certain man was sick. That's important. This man was sick. His name was Lazarus of Bethany. It was the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And so you have this sibling group here. You have Lazarus, you have Mary and Martha, and Lazarus is sick. And in verse 3, it tells us the sisters sent word to him, to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And so we learn something here. Jesus has a, a relationship, a, a strong friendship with Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. So much so that they, they know that. He, they know that Jesus loves them. And he says, Lazarus is sick. And so when Jesus heard this, listen to what he says in verse 4. This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. And, and so we get the purpose of this sickness, of this illness, and eventually of this death. And then look again at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. You, you think the writer wants to get a point across here? He, he mentions twice, verse 3 and verse 5, that Jesus loves Lazarus, loves Martha, loves Mary. And then I want to show you something. Look at verse 6. So, and that word so right there is big. It also can mean Therefore. In verse 6, it says, so when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, you might read that and you might think to yourself, knowing everything you do, know about Jesus. And if you didn't know how this ends, you would think to yourself, what? <laughs> he loves Lazarus. He loves Martha. He loves Mary. Why in the world is, is he staying around two days longer because we know what happens. Look at verse 17. When Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. And so we read this and we hear in verse 5 and 6, Jesus loved Lazarus. He loves Martha. He loves Mary. So, or therefore, he heard that he was sick. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And somebody might read that and might say, how how is that loving? Because it says right there, he loves them and therefore he stuck around where he was for two days. Something interesting about God that we learn here, something interesting about Jesus that we learn here is Jesus doesn't keep pain from Lazarus. He doesn't keep pain from his sisters, Martha and Mary. He doesn't keep sorrow from Martha and Mary. You see, Jesus doesn't love you and I simply by removing pain, suffering, and death. 
Many of us in here would say, oh, I love that. I love that. Many of us have gone through grief. We've gone maybe through sorrow. We've gone through pain. Maybe ourselves, we've gone through sickness and suffering. And we would say, yeah, I would love that. But I want you to hear this morning that the most loving thing that Jesus could do is not removing those things. That's not the most loving thing he could do. In fact, many think in our world today that Jesus shows his love and God shows his love for us by giving us comfort and giving us more stuff and more things and, and, and just this comfortable American life. But that's not how God shows his love toward us. It's not simply health and wealth that comes even from pastor's on an Easter morning like today, that's not how God shows that he loves us. In fact, I would tell you this morning that this is shocking to many of us. We read this and we think, oh wow, he loves them, but he allows Lazarus to go ahead and die. And so what does that mean? What's the point? I think a few things before we really get ramped up this morning, we must know this morning that God's love often does allow pain and it often does allow loss. God's love means doing what you must do to help people see and enjoy the glory of God forever. That might be a new mind shift for you, a new thinking, a way of thinking for you this morning But God's love means doing what you must to do to help people see and enjoy the glory of God, even in this case with Jesus, if that means letting Lazarus die. Wow, really? And then also, God's love labors. It suffers to give people what is infinitely and eternally satisfying, which namely is God. And so what does that simply mean this morning is this. God's love is ultimately this. Giving you and I himself. Some might sit back this morning and that that fact, that truth may be disappointing. I hope it isn't. Ultimately, the love of God, the greatest love, is giving you and I God. And that's what Jesus came to do, right? I mean, that's why he came and he died for you and I. And he rose on Easter Sunday. It's so that you and I could know him and know his Father in heaven. That's why he came. It didn't come to give us a happy, comfortable, health, free of suffering, free of pain, life. But instead, he came and he took the opportunity of things like death and suffering and pain to show us something. And that's what verse 4 tells us, right? He says in verse 4, let me remind you again, this sickness is not to end in death, but for something Great, and that is the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. So I want you to know this morning that that God wants to show you himself, who he is, so you can know him. 
And when we hear the glory of God spoke about, many times we, we see it as, oh, God wants to, to, to have praise and honor, and he ultimately does, and he ultimately will receive that from this day. But the idea that Jesus is talking about here is that God wants to show himself. He wants to put on display his identity and his character to the world, and he is going to use the death of Lazarus to do that, to show us even who he himself, Jesus, is on this day. Jesus wants to show who he is so you can know him. The Bible tells us in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that those who would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life, that they would have the greatest of all goods, which is the gift of God himself. The Bible tells us in John 17, verse 3, that this is eternal life, that they may know you. Jesus was praying this, the only true God, the Father in heaven, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So the gift of God is what? Is the gift of himself and the gift of eternal life at the cost of God's one and only son, Jesus. God wants to know you. And there is no greater love than that. And so Jesus is going to allow Lazarus to die to show the glory of God and his glory, and that is most loving. So look further what happens here. Look at verse 17, and we'll follow this day at what happens here in Bethany. But before we do, there's three points I want you to see here that Jesus wants to show in the context of Lazarus dying about himself. The first one is, is a profound truth. And listen to what he says in verse 17. It says, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha, had come to Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and I am the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asked Martha. So what do we find here? Lazarus has been in the grave for, for four days. Jesus arrives. Martha meets Jesus and says, if he would have been here, Lazarus would not have died. And what does it tell us about Martha? She, she believed in Jesus' power to heal. If you remember in John chapter 9, we, we've seen it. Jesus healed a blind man. And we know of other miracles that we read in John. And Jesus told Martha that Lazarus would rise again. But Martha did not know that Jesus meant today, right? That Jesus was referring to Lazarus literally rising on that day. But instead, she believed that Lazarus would rise again in the resurrection on the last day. On the end of this age. And so what does that mean? Where was Martha, what was she thinking about? In the Old Testament, in in a couple different places, but I'll give you one this morning. It it, it tells us uh, about the resurrection to come. 
In fact, in Daniel 12, verse 2, listen to what the prophet Daniel said. Many years ago, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. No doubt Martha had probably read or heard that taught before. She no doubt heard Jesus teach about the resurrection as well. But what's amazing about all this talk in the Old Testament about resurrection, even when Jesus came teaching about it, it was all pointing to this statement made by Jesus on this day, that he is the resurrection, that he is the life. But what does that mean? What does that mean? It means that he has power over sin, the enemy, and death. That he, through his death and his resurrection, will conquer sin, will conquer the enemy himself, and will conquer, ultimately, our greatest fear, which is death. But what all does that mean? I want to show you this because Jesus spoke about that. I believe Martha, when she heard um, the teachings of Jesus, was hanging on this, and she believed that Lazarus would experience this. And So what did she believe in? I'm going to show you, look at this verse on the screen. In John chapter 5, verse 25, listen to what Jesus taught. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is. And so I would say even now, even right now, this is here. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Now, what was Jesus saying? He was referring to those who are dead in their sin. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us measure up to the standard of God. We fall short of God's standard. In Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3, the Bible says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And so what does that mean? That you and I are depraved. The Bible says we have hearts that are wicked, and we don't like hearing that, but it's truth. It's reality. Because of sin, that is who we are. We are dead. We have no spiritual life in us. And so Jesus is speaking about that. He says, when the dead, those without any spiritual life, when they hear the voice of the Son of God, who is Jesus, and those who hear will live. Meaning when they hear the truth about Jesus, when they hear that the Son of God has come to give them life, and when they believe, they're made alive. Romans 10, 17, that tells us faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. This isn't some mere intellectual belief. This isn't some mere intellectual facts that we know about Jesus but it is a belief that changes our life, that God causes us by his grace to come alive. He takes dead hearts that were good as dead, spiritually dead, eternally bound 
to perish forever. And he takes those hearts and he makes them come alive. He gives us a new life. He takes people who are blind to spiritual things, blind to the truth of the gospel of who Jesus is, and he causes them to see. He causes them to see Jesus as the light of the world. And Jesus says that's what he came to do. And so this first resurrection that Jesus is talking about here is the resurrection that one goes through when they come to faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus takes them spiritually and raises them from death to new life. And then second, a second resurrection that he speaks of in John 5, 28 through 29, he speaks of a physical resurrection. Listen to what he says next. He says, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. And so what are those good deeds? Namely, they are those who believe in Jesus Christ. And then second, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. What are the evil deeds? Namely, rejection of of Jesus, not submitting your life to Jesus Christ. We believe Jesus is in heaven now. That's why we stand here today. We, we believe that after he rose again, he was here for 40 days on the earth, and then he ascended into heaven where he now is with the Father, and that one day he will return. And that's when, in John 5, 28 and 29, this physical resurrection will occur when the physically dead in Christ will be united with their uh, bodies made anew and fit for the new heaven and new earth. That's the destiny of the believer, new heavens and new earth. And that Jesus will do this work of resurrection in that day. And that those who are in Christ that are alive at the time when Jesus comes back, that they too will meet him. And be with him in the new heavens and the new earth forever. But those who did not believe, those who reject Jesus, will spend eternity perishing in condemnation. So this morning, Jesus is the resurrection. He is the life. And the question is, do we believe that? Have we experienced the spiritual resurrection that he's talking about, that though we were dead, now we've come to life by believing in him? And that's what Martha responds with in verse 27, back to our text in verse 27 of chapter 11. She said to him, yes, Lord. Two huge words, yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Do you believe that? Can you say that along with Martha? And then look at verse 28. I want to show you not only just this profound truth, but Jesus is going to show something here. He's going to show some strong emotion. He's going to show us, us our, uh, show us his heart and ultimately what deeply grieves him. And look at verse 28. 
When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him, fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And then said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man also from dying? And then in verse 38, so Jesus again being deeply moved came to the tomb. What do we see with Jesus? He's deeply moved. He's deeply grieved. He's deeply troubled. He weeps. But Jesus is not grieving. He is not weeping over Lazarus dying. Why? Because he is about to restore Lazarus's life. Jesus is not weeping with Martha and Mary and grieving with them. Because why? He is about to turn their weeping and their mourning into rejoicing. So why is he weeping? Why is he grieving? There's something much more going on here with Jesus. You see, Jesus is grieved deeply by the sin of humanity. He is mourning and he is weeping over the consequence of that sin, which is death. And he is weeping and he is mourning over humanity who does not see him as the resurrection and the life. And it breaks his heart. It breaks his heart. It deeply troubles him. Around that day, what did we read? We have questioning about his timing. We maybe even have questioning about his motives, definitely his power. He could heal this blind man, but why couldn't he heal this man who was sick and keep him from dying? And ultimately, you have questioning about his love. You have anger and you have ultimately unbelief that is filling the air that day. You have suspicion. And this deeply moves Jesus, you know why? Because these are things that keep people from knowing him. And that deeply grieves Jesus. There are many things that keep people from knowing Jesus as their Savior. Greater things, a greater love for the things of this world, greater love for sin, greater love for even religion, just trying to earn your way to heaven, trying to do enough good things or maybe not enough bad things and to think that, hey, that's how I'm getting there and just kind of settle there to earn God's favor and, and that's not the Bible. It grieves Jesus. Religion grieves Jesus because he came so that we can have a, relig- a relationship. That's the difference, a relationship with God. That's why he came. And so it grieves him. When man thinks we can do this on our own, we, we can figure this thing out on our own, we can do all these good things and, and somehow earn our way 
to heaven. But Jesus says, no, we are dead people. Dead people can't do good things to get to heaven. And it grieves Jesus of those who reject him. It breaks his heart. That's why Jesus is weeping. That's why he's grieving. And as he is deeply moved, he moves to the tomb. And look at what happens in verse 38. Being deeply moved within, he came to the tomb, and now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Now, we see, or maybe, let me, let me help you see a picture instead, a, a picture of what this would have maybe been like, a mountainside or a, or a hillside, and, and a tomb would have been cut into the limestone along the hillside so that a body could be placed into it. A big stone would be rolled up <clears throat> against the entrance, normally large enough to keep animals out and to keep those who maybe were curious from getting in. And the Jews would customarily take a, a body. That's, that's, I don't know if that's the right picture, but anyway, that's something else. <laughs> yeah. we, might even, we might even throw some other things up. What? Okay, all right. If you want to know what, what that is, I'll, I'll talk to you afterwards. All right. <laughs> that was fun. That caught me off guard. That's good. That was fun. It's fun. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. The Jews would customarily, they would take the body of one who had died, they, they would wrap it in linens, and they would take spices to also counteract the odors that would come from, from obviously, a body. And so that would have happened at this point. Lazarus would be in the tomb and even though Martha had confessed her belief that Jesus would raise the dead, she didn't understand yet that Jesus was planning to raise her brother immediately on that way, on that day. Jesus hadn't given necessarily any hints toward that, so she didn't necessarily know that. And so listen to what she says next in verse 39. I, I love this, I of the story. I love this because Martha was very practical, right? And listen to what she says in verse 39. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha said, Lord, by this time, there will be a stench. He has been dead for four days. Martha's right, right? And Martha's thinking, dude, are you serious? Do you really want to do this? Are we really going to go there, right? And then look what Jesus says in, in verse 40. Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Can you imagine that scene? Here you have Mary, you have Martha, you have all the Jews that have come <clears throat> to be with them, to console them, and they're all gathered there, and Jesus has the stone removed. And, and man, no doubt, they're, they're on pins and needles. They're sitting there thinking, what is this dude going to do next? What is he going to do? And then look what happens. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around as I said it, so that they may believe and that you sent me. Jesus takes this opportunity to pause and pray to the Father. 
Do you remember he said this is not to end in death, but to show what? The glory of God. And no doubt in this moment as he is praying, there is a point to his prayer to show that I have a relationship with the Father, that I and the Father are one. He sent me from heaven to earth. He is showing his relationship to the Father in this moment. And then in verse 43, it says, When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. It would have been an interesting day if Jesus just said, come forth. I mean, there would have been a lot of people coming forth, right? So good thing for some specification here. So Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him. Let him go. This happened. This isn't just some story, right? This is real life. It happened. Jesus takes a man who is good as dead in a tomb for four days and causes him to come to life. The most powerful revelation of his true identity. It shows his authority over our greatest and last enemy, which is death. It was the greatest of Jesus' miracles. But yet it was an appetizer of what was about to happen. That Jesus himself would be raised again. Lazarus came to life only to die again later. He will. As a mortal human being. But we know that Jesus rose to never die again. He is alive. He has conquered sin. He has conquered the enemy. And he has conquered death with a forever, forever knockout blow. On the cross on Good Friday, he took the sin of the world upon himself. He paid the price for our sin by bearing God's divine judgment, God's wrath on the cross. He bore it for you and I so that you and I who would believe in him would not have to bear the wrath of God and perish forever, which we all deserve that, but he willingly came and gave his own life so we would not have to. That instead, if we would believe, we would come to have the free gift of eternal life that is only found in him. And on this Easter Sunday, he arose again, conquering death once and for all, so that we could say, as the Apostle Paul says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Jesus Christ. That is our hope. Nothing can separate us, not even death, from the love of God. Because Jesus truly is the resurrection and the life. As we close this morning, I'm going to have John come up and the rest of the band. And I want you to just, you just sit and think for a second. When you hear this amazing event that happened over 2,000 years ago where Jesus takes this man Lazarus and causes him to 
to raise from death to life physically. It's, it's a beautiful picture of what God wants to do to our own lives, to take us who are dead spiritually and to raise us up to new life in him. I want to tell you that we really have a, a, just two choices here on this earth. When we go back to the context of a, a cemetery, I, I think always, and I said this the other night, but I, but I think often of, of just that dash in between when we're born and when we die. And the question is, what, what we do during that time of the dash is big. That dash can, can be a, a life simply lived for us and, and what we want to do and, and, and really our purpose and, and, and our ways. And, and at the end, we profit nothing. We may have gained the whole world. We may have accumulated a lot of stuff, maybe even a lot of money. And by the world's measurement and standard, we did a lot. But what is that profit your soul. Jesus says, nothing. Nothing. But the other way is hearing the words of Jesus and him say, I'm the resurrection and the life. Even though one day you will die, you will live forever. And believing that, and not saying in your mind today, oh, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait till later, until I get a little older, and, and, and then I'll decide to, to submit my life to Jesus and, and believe in Him. And, and I just want to tell you today, man, life is fleeting. And many in here can testify, we don't know what tomorrow brings. But I, but I want you to know today that, that God has a purpose for that dash, for your life. Not just to to meander around in nothingness and to meander around in meaningless living, but to say you have a purpose for your life and that you were created for the glory of God. You were created to live for the Lord. That's how you were wired. That's how God made you. That was his purpose from the very beginning. And sin came in and disrupted that. But Jesus came and he died to overcome the effect of the power of sin in your life so that you can know him now. This isn't just for later. This is for now, that today would be the day of salvation, that you would come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He wants to raise you up from a dead life to true living, abundant life, following him, knowing him, and maybe Easter Sunday, 2016, is that first beginning, that first step of just saying, okay, Lord, <laughs> I give up trying to do this life on my own. I'm going to trust the one who is the resurrection and who is the life because he's got the greatest purpose for me. And he loves me. He loves me. I hope you've seen that today. So today believe in Jesus. Believe in him.